Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Today, I'm joined by the Reverend Dr. Selma Massey. Massey grew up on the west side of Detroit and was reared as a Christian scientist. As a young child, she knew there was something different about herself. When her mother found her with an older woman, her mother rebuked and rejected her. That rejection ripped her to her core. After graduating from high school, she attended the University of Detroit Mercy, receiving her bachelor's degree in sociology and a master's degree in student personnel work. After finishing at University of Detroit Mercy, Massey went on to earn a doctorate degree in education from Western Michigan University. She then began to work in the mental health and corrections fields. While the work had its rewards, it eventually lost its appeal. In 1966, she left that profession to learn more about God. She studied at the New Covenant Church. After finishing her studies, she served as assistant pastor of Full Truth Fellowship of Christ Church for a while. Massey began to envision having her own ministry, and she knew she'd call it Whosoever Ministries. Whosoever Ministries had its first service in July 2003. The church intentionally offers an open and affirming safe place to worship for LGBTQ Christians in Southeast Michigan community. Finding a permanent home for the congregation has been a challenge. Whosoever has had several homes at the YWCA building in downtown Detroit until it closed, in the Detroit suburb of Birmingham, and at the Detroit Ecumenical Theological Seminary near downtown Detroit. In recent years, Whosoever Ministries became part of United Church of Christ. After becoming part of United Church of Christ, the congregation found its home in the Detroit suburb of Gross Point Farms. Recently, the congregation expressed a desire to develop a virtual museum containing pictures, images, and keepsakes items that highlight LGBTQ lives. The project will be known as the American Museum of LGBTQ History. It aims to capture LGBTQ history through photos, videos, memorabilia, and headline news stories. Phase one of this project is in the works. A preview of what is to come will be available on the Whosoever Ministries website this fall. Phase two of the museum project is scheduled to preview in the summer of 2021. 
Eventually, there'll be a physical location in Detroit, a welcome center for visitors and travelers. Reverend Massey, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? Fine, Michelle. It's so good to be with you and to be able to share just where we are in our journeys in life. I'm so happy to be here. I feel pretty good. Thank you. What about you? Well, I'm feeling good, and I'm going to call you Selma because Please do. Yes. You, you are Selma to me. I mean, you know, um, I remember you at Full Truth. I remember you did a radio show, and I was oh. one of your guests. <laughs> we go way back, don't we? I love that. So we have really come full circle together. You know, yes. I mean, I like and I think that it's a message that more LGBT people need to hear and to need to acknowledge that they recognize that they weren't different. They were special early yeah. in their life. And that specialness often brought a rebuke and rejection. And the fact that you're able to say that and bring that to your congregation, you share that with people, how important is that? for us and the LGBTQ community to acknowledge, you know, not only that we were special, but that hurt that we felt. You know what? I think that's one of the most important things that I find with people is that the hurt is so prevalent that it takes a long time, and what I call it is to peel the onion back, because there's so many layers of pain for our community and in our individual lives sometimes, that that's where the work begins. And I think, you know, it's, mm, how can I say it? Mm, We've been served a terrible injustice because nobody came to help us to tell us that God does love us and that we aren't rejected and that we are special and that we are, uh, the way I'd like to say it, God built us for such a time as this so that we can go and help others that are similar to us work through their pain, work through their abuse, work through their victories and their successes so that we could all be one and be at peace. So it's, it's been a challenge, especially by being in the ministry. You know, people come, I, I like to tell people sometimes that when they come to church, they're often very wounded. You know, they're bleeding, but we don't see the blood. And they're hurting, but we don't see the tears, but we know they're there. And so we spend a lot of time of letting them know that God loves them and that they are special and that they were not a mistake. Mm. You know, you were special. I mean, you finished, you got your bachelor's and your master's in two and a half years. I mean, you know, I mean, like nobody, I mean, you might have been rebuked, you might have been rejected, but you knew that you were special. And you knocked that out. You went in, you had a career that you were doing. And, you know, you were just talking about faith. And it seems like despite it all, Yes. And you went on and accomplished things. You still yes. heard that that voice of God calling you, saying, I've got work for you. Isn't that something? It, you know, I, I, I knew there had to be something. And, yes, he was speaking to me. But uh, like so many others, I, I thought it couldn't be me. Because, uh, for example, in my 
life, my brother was the one that was cultivated to be a pastor, to be a, a minister, to be in the clergy. And everyone thought that he was going to be the golden child in that way. It didn't work out that way. He's in the ministry and all of that in terms of uh, what he's doing and also with corporate America. But for me, it was, uh, I just didn't think that between you and I, earlier in my life, that I was good enough. So in me, with all the achievement along, you know, along the way or whatever, I think I was running from myself. I thought that perhaps if I stood still too long, I might just, you know, uh, I don't know, not be successful and may not have completed a lot of the things that God had in store for me because I didn't take the time to think about it. I didn't overwork what was, you know, the hatred, you know, and the uh, the social isolation and all of that that comes with, you know, our lives. Well, it did back then. I must say that I'm... Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what, how can I say it? I'm well over 50. Let's put it that way. So we're talking hey, about a time. I was having that AARP car. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So back then, you know, uh, back in the 70s and the 80s and, and even the early 90s, you know, people, it, they just, just weren't as liberated as in large clusters as they are now. Now we're popular. Now we're, you know, back in my time, back years ago, the exciting of watching TV and they say, ooh, a black person's going to be on TV. We're going to watch that. Mm -hmm. I remember even when Ellen came out, for example, everybody got around their TVs to watch that. But these days, everything's happening so quickly and people are coming out left and right. They're on TV. You you know, you see uh, different programs where you might see uh, us embracing and showing affection towards one another. And it's not a big thing. So we have come quite a way and I'm, I'm, I'm just happy to see it. I didn't know I'd see it in my lifetime, but uh, it's been a happy a wonderful journey. It was difficult at first, and it still has moments of difficulty in terms of when you really care about people, when they hurt, you hurt, when they hurt, I hurt in many cases. But I just kind of stick with it, and I don't massage the pain. I just keep going. You know, I told somebody a while back, I didn't know that it couldn't be done, so I kept doing it. Perfect. You know, when nobody, you know, you didn't know, so why not? You just went ahead and did it. And, yeah. you know, um, as you were looking at it, because, you know, often I've talked to some people, and, you know, we have different generations, and there was that to achieve, you know, yes. to say, well, and, and sometimes I've talked to some people who felt like, or maybe they had let their parents down, so they really, really had to achieve that fact because the parents didn't accept them because yes. they were gay. Did you, yes. and I know that at one point in time you even wanted, you said, well, I'm going to try and be married. And everything. Did you yes. try to do things to, yes. so yes. you would feel your mother to fit proud of you? Yes, I wanted them to be proud of me. So I just went on and married uh, the boy next door, the one they had planned for me. You know, said, oh, yeah, she can marry him. And, you know, we just kind of grew up together. And then when I became 17, we just went on down to the city-county building and got married. Um, But when the deal went down in the end, it turned out that we were both uh, in the life, Mm. you know, eventually. 
you know, probably saw that in each other, and it's probably a, a safety net. <laughs> but it, mm-hmm. it only lasted about five years, and it was in those five years we weren't even together because we just kind of early on uh, realized that it wasn't for either of us, although we're dear friends to this day. Mm-hmm. But I tried it because I wanted to say that I did try it because I knew people would come up against me. Oh, you're a lesbian, and uh, you, all you need is such and such. No, I tried mm-hmm. that, and it didn't work. <laughs> you know, and I, I think if, if, there, if for every time you heard, you know, you just haven't found the right man, you know. Right. You know, it's, it's like, you know. You Not know, interested. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and yeah. probably a part of him was hearing that, that he hadn't found the right one. And you know what? Exactly. Way, you, do, you two did find the right person because you're still friends. That's right. You know? That's right. You know? That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I want you to tell the story. I mean, because I was reading it about how, you know, I know that you you studied and you went on. I know, I remember you being there over there at Full Truth. First yes. of all, what made you know that you know you wanted to to have a different type of ministry? And first of all, what made you know that? And then tell the story how that name came to you. Wow. You know, that is the most astonishing thing. I had just broken up uh, with the love of my life because I just made some mistakes and it was all my fault, I must say that. So I wound up being alone and at a critical mass in my life. And it just so happens that while I was at home this particular day, I went down to the basement where we kept a lot of books, old books and things like that, and I saw my grandmother's uh, Bible that was on this high on the shelf. And as the light was coming in the window, somehow or another I was moving about in the room, and the Bible fell open. And it opened up to John 3.16. And I just looked at it, and it seemed to me in, in my spirit that even the sunlight seemed to shine in on that particular verse that said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. When I saw that word, whosoever, I saw that there were no qualifications attached to it. There was no uh, 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 things that need to be done before one could be accepted or loved by God or included in God's plan. So that just kind of resonated in me when I saw that, and I just kind of just – and. in having that happen to me in that way, it just kind of set in my heart, and then I began to vigorously – pursue the word of God to find out more about what he was saying to us. And in that journey, I realized that God really does love us, and we're all made in his image and likeness, and he is no respecter of persons. And as the word says, we're neither male nor female, we're spirits. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I've learned so much in this journey, and I told God back then, I said, Lord, just teach it to me, and I'll teach it to them, because there's so many hurting people out there. And, and Lord, I just want to, as you teach me, I'm going to say it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to live it. And with that, I, at one point, I found myself at Full Truth uh, Church after I wound up getting licensed and ordained in the ministry. I went over there, and I, I might have been there you know, a few months, and I realized that 
uh, I think I was more independent than I realized with it. And I really believe that the Lord told me to, you know, come away. He wanted to do a little more with me because I was going to go on and open my own church. Mm. And so it was just uh, almost like a revelation that was mutually seen by uh, the pastor that had been there at that time. And I, I went on, and a little hurt behind it because just, it just happened so quickly because I was really re- ready to settle in there and just be satisfied being in the background but there, you know, because <laughs> I had found mm-hmm. a church, I believed, where I could at least uh, learn more about God or either help others that are coming through that are in pain. But uh, I wanted to be more aggressive, I think. And I think the Lord already knew who I was. <laughs> of course he did. And mm-hmm. so uh, he gave me the um, desire. You know, he says he'll put the desires in our heart. He gave me the desire to go on. And then one day somebody from Full Truth came to me and said, Doc, when are you going to start your own church? And it was almost like my name in a crowd. I said, this must be the time. Then I went from yeah. Now, you know, I'm going to tell you, one of the other things that's so special about that, that, that yeah. and I want to ask you, it was your grandmother's Bible. And, you yes. know, and I know the first person who I knew loved me was yes. my grandmother. Yeah. How, how was your relationship with your grandmother? And did you, in that moment, also feel her her spirit, like, you know, that it was her Bible that you saw? It was her Bible, but I did not feel her spirit. She is the one that cultivated my brother, and she was mm. old-fashioned. So there's no way that she would have encouraged my lifestyle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. all me. She was my paternal grandmother, but my maternal grandmother, I was named after her, but she died long before I even, you know, probably got out the crib. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. so, but it was my grandmother's Bible, and it was in that way a treasure to me because it was almost like in the spirit she was throwing me the ball. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I kind of took it like that, and I didn't, you know, uh, with my brother, I must say, because he went to ministry school and did all that also. So he had a little difficulty with me being in the ministry with the particular group that I'm with, you know what I mean, with the LGBT community, because mm-hmm. he was old-fashioned also. And he never said anything negative to me. And we've never had that sit-down family talk, yeah, I'm gay, blah, blah, blah. But it's really understood, and everybody knows it, not that I was in a closet or anything like that. But he was more reserved and more traditional in his, let's say, his uh, religious beliefs. So my grandmother had much to do with him. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind of old-fashioned. He even likes the old-fashioned music and old things. So he, he was my grandmother's baby, so to speak. But mm-hmm. I got the Bible. I got my grandmother's oh, yeah. Bible. He got the affection. I got the Bible. And it changed my Bible? life. No, girl. I, you know, with me, you know what happens? I get a Bible, and then if I go to the hospital to see somebody, and they don't have a Bible there, I, I say, here, take mine. You know what I mean? I'm just because I mm-hmm. want them to have it. 
You know, so it's almost like they just roll out of my hand sometimes. And they might get it with all my notes, all my highlights, my <laughs> my bumper sticker. No, <laughs> everything. <laughs> so, I, 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 you know, as you said that just now, I probably should have kept it. But I just always was freely giving it away. Just like I would say the word, give the word away, literally give my Bibles away. Well, you know, I think that that's it because in some ways – she was going to give it to your brother, you know, rather yes. than yes. down, but you were the one yes. who got it. And then you yeah, I'm the one who got it. Isn't that mm-hmm. something? Mm-hmm. Isn't that so? It is. That's just really incredible. Well, Summer, so we're going to take our first break here, and then I want to talk a little bit more about Whosoever Ministries. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm talking with Reverend Dr. Selma Massey of Whosoever Ministries. You know, particularly for members of the LGBTQ community, and I would mm-hmm. say especially particularly for, for black people, yes. the church was always our way when things were, were bad. It was, you know, they taught us how to read parts of the Bible that yes. they wanted us to learn to read to keep us enslaved. We went on yes. and read the other parts that gave us a clue to be yes. liberated. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we read know, it for ourselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why, why, you know, how important is it that we have, you know, because I know some people who go to churches that are affirming. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they've got everybody. How important yeah. is it to to have a black LGBT church? And I know that, you know, any if someone came in there, they're welcome. But how yes. important is it for us, our community, to have that space? I'll tell you this, Michelle. Sometimes the people that have been persecuted can become the worst persecutors. I find that true with the African-American, our community, African-American community, the way they have treated our lesbian and gay community. I mean, especially the, the church folk. They've been really harsh, and they're still not accepting of us. There's a guy that's running for president, we all know, and he happens to be in the life, but he says he cannot even get an audience with the African-American church because they're just not tolerant of us in so many ways. Now, some churches, the pastors are saying, well, yeah, we want to be more inclusive because they realize that we're out there. But the congregation, 
the pew sitters are the ones that still uh, uh, have the undertones, I'm going to tell you, of hatred. They still mm-hmm. can't. Well, it's almost like, uh, I hate to say it, it's almost like we're the last one to come to terms with this. I mean, so many other groups have, you know, it's no big deal to them. You know, even in other countries we're seeing now where it's all people are out in the open and being legalized, all kinds of things are happening, you know. But there's that last little stronghold of the African-American church community that just, they're not as open and affirming as we need them to be. And they, they really, they, mm, it's not like they've studied the Bible for themselves, that issue. And that's what's been the trouble of the trouble is that those pastors, they, they didn't have an uh, investment in studying the Bible to see what does it really say? Well, how does, how, what is it really talking about? Is it talking about loving relationships between two same-gender people? You know, I mean, is it talking? No, it's not talking that. It's talking about the ones that are the, uh, the, uh, uh, the ones that are worshiping the idols and they're having sex in the temple and all that. That's disgusting to me, too. You know, <laughs> but we're not, that's not us. That's not our lifestyle, you know. And so it's, it's just, it was important for me, and it is important for me to let people know that it doesn't matter what people say about you. What matters is what God says about you. And we're just going to go with that. So we just have to, I think, part, well, I, I, I want to say that we just have to keep telling our stories. And then in time, you know, just like these, a lot of these barriers have come down, and there are a lot of African-American folks that now they're a little more tolerant of us. Now, if we can just get that last stronghold of the Christian church, <laughs> you know, then maybe, you know, because when you get a church hurt, that's a hurt. That's a hurt that's hard to shake. And, you know, your home church maybe that you grew up in, your mom and everybody went to it, and then as soon as you walk in, they start talking about Adam and Steve and and how, you know, how horrible that is and how we're abominations and all of that. With that, I heard my last sermon like that, and I said, listen, I'm going to have to go out there and just, like I said, start my own thing. You know, because I've got this knowledge now that the Lord has revealed to me because I studied the issue, because I, I was vested in it. So it meant something to me to find out what does it really say, mm-hmm. you know. And so when I captured that, you know, as a matter of fact, I was talking to a guy the other day. There's a, a part in the Bible, I think it's Matthew 19 or something, where Jesus is talking and asking him about marriage. And he said, I'm going to tell you something that's kind of, some people are not going to get this. He says, some people are born this way, some people are made this way, and some people choose to be this way. I think that even with that, it's letting us know that there's more than just male, female, just two. There could be other, you know, with God, there are many kind of flowers, <laughs> many kind of trees. So why should he just have one, two on people, you know, <laughs> you know uh, uh, straight or gay, you know? <laughs> so, you know, there are some people that choose, you know to be uh, uh, a certain way, and some of us are born that way, and some of us um, are made that way, you know. So I think this is, I think that we just have to become more informed. That is the secret, more, more educated about uh, uh, 
the, the world has to become more educated about who we are, not where we're pushing ourselves, but just so that we can be, have greater acceptance so that those that are coming behind us can know they can come to church, whatever church they choose, you know, whether it's open and affirming, we hope, and they can get in there and develop a relationship with the Lord. Hmm. You know, it, it, it's odd because, you know, in fact, I was talking to someone about Stonewall, and mm-hmm. I just know, I've always known, even as a child, you know, there were people who came around my my grandmother's house who were gay, and we knew they yes. were gay. And there was yes. a period of time, though, about Stonewall, where we were concerned about black power, you know, and being... And yes, being that's right. Said, that's now, right. You know, we've gone back to you, said, like you're saying, how some people in our own community, you know, hate us, but you want to say, you know, if somebody pulls you over for being driving while black, if yes. you throw up your gay card, it ain't going to help you any. You're still <laughs> black, you know. That's you're right. still black. And do you find often, and I know that, that I hear that, it's like, are you gay or are you black? And 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 you want to say, well, I didn't turn in my black card when I right. became gay. And do you find that, like, as you talk to other people in the black church, other ministers, and you're talking about things, because I've heard them say, you know, even Satan can read the Bible when we try mm. to talk about it. But do yeah. you ever have to tell, like, remind them that you come from the same comfort, yeah. that spirit, that solidarity that the black church is, you just you're gay, and that church is church. Yes, 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 yes. That's why it's a personal journey. You know, we can't get, you know, we can't really even get caught up in what what, uh, those in the church uh, try to impose on us, and we have to go after God for ourselves. We really do. We really do. Or we're just going to be run over and, and, you know, and wind up, Getting, uh, doing all kind of risky things because we think that our life had no value. So we might wind mm-hmm. up, you know, drinking more, drugs more, uh, sex more, uh, just being a little more risky, t- uh, taking chances because we figure, what do I have to lose? Because God doesn't love me. Because when, when people think God doesn't love them, then they, they, it, it almost takes off all restraint. And that's what mm-hmm. is troubling so you know, you you had. I remember when you. I remember when you went to Y. I yeah. I mean, you went to Y. You went for and now you've got a home, and you became not that long ago. Who Southern Ministries joined the UCC? United what, Church of Christ. Yeah. Why did that? What did that mean to you? And why is that significant? It's so significant because I went knocking on the doors of other churches. I went to Catholic churches where they, where I figured all these big old buildings all around and and mm-hmm. surely they can give us a little room where we can come on in and worship, you know. And then I went to the Presbyterians and then I went to the United Methodist Church. I went to all these places knocking on the door, knowing that those churches could use a little extra money. It's not like I wasn't willing to pay. Because even when we went over to the uh, Hilton Garden Inn after we left the Y, we were paying nearly 2000 a month to be over there. You know what I mean? So that money, I figured, could well go to a church and help some of these struggling churches, you know, because of many churches, they're just in church on that Sunday afternoon, 
and in the building sitting there, except for Bible study sometime. So that extra money would have done them good, I would have thought. So I kept knocking on those doors to see if we can be, uh, we could share a building or share a space in a building. No one would let us in. At one point when I went over to one of the Presbyterian churches in downtown Detroit, they, they took me around circle, 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 and then they said, well, listen, you can come and we'll let you have that back room over there, but you cannot go into the sanctuary. You can't let your people go into the sanctuary. I said, well, no, thank you. I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to let anybody mistreat our people. You know, and so then I went over to out in Birmingham to the United Church of Christ, a lovely church, very similar to the one we're in now. It was a lovely building, United Church of Christ. But they said, okay, you can come in and you can worship in our seminary, I mean, in our uh, sanctuary. And I said, uh, okay. They said, but you can't do any wedding, any wedding uh, ceremonies in our sanctuary. You just can't do it. I said, okay, I won't do it then because I know I could take people, you know, people go to their homes or these, these places that they rent out and they get married at all kinds of places. So that did not need to hold us back. So I went on out there and that was good for about a year. But I found since it was so far out, I wound up leaving so many of the Detroiters behind that didn't have the ability to travel that far out. So I, I, I said, I got to go back to the city. So I was, at one point, I was still in Birmingham, but I would go to the um, Ecumenical Theological Society Seminary, and I would uh, have an early morning church service for anybody that came, anybody that I might have left behind. And then I'd rush on down to Birmingham afterward and do that service there. And then after a while, I eventually went on over to ETS, and they welcomed us in. Uh, it was a little controversial there also uh, because we weren't uh, – we were paying – it was a lot of money to us. But then one of the big churches, once we had really gotten that building, that location, people were talking about it, people in and out of the building again and all of that, a larger church from uh, up north that was uh, – well, the rumor had it that it was uh, just another kind of church. I'll just put it that way. And they wanted to come in. They wanted to move us to the, like the, a back room of the place. And we were in the sanctuary, lovely and everything. I said, you're not going to do that? And my sister said, they treat me like Rosa Parks. I said, well, wait a minute. I'm not getting in the back of the bus. I said, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> I was talking. I told them. I said, you're not going to do us like that. You're not going to treat us this way. So, I, you know, it was a lot of uh, back and forth. I remember one time I was trying to, to uh, lease a spot in a Catholic church. I went and I talked to this man. He opened the door, creptic. It was really creptic. It was like, I don't know. But he had his whole regalia on, just one of those um, uh, priests. And so he let me come in and we sat down and I said, I'm just, all I want to do is I'm just looking for a place where we can worship. We just, would you just give us a little room? We could, we'll be all right, but nobody wants to give us a chance. And we want to learn about God. Girl, I started crying and everything. And he sat there and looked at me like I was uh, nothing. You know what I mean? And then I just said, well, let me just go on and go. Because I thought, you know, it was, 
It wasn't easy finding a location. Let me put it that way. It was heartbreaking. It was the rejection, you know, because you, what, what I was trying to do is come up against everything that so many people knew, that so many people thought that, you know, that, that God hated gay people or whatever they thought. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then me trying to bring the word of God into the gay community, who did I think I was? And I wasn't going to twist. I didn't twist the Bible. You know what I mean? I was just telling the truth. I studied it, and I found out, and I was communicating that to people. But all they knew is what they heard, Adam and Eve, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not Adam and Eve, not, not Steve and Steve, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, that came up against a lot. It was really, really something, a lot of stress. And during that time, uh, I believe that that's when I wound up with this uh, Graves disease because it comes on by stress. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is uh, overactive thyroid. And because I, you know, I was healthy. I've been healthy all my life, you know what I mean, basically. But that got on me because it was a lot to carry, you know what I mean. And I didn't have any minister friends that could give me advice and tell me what to look out for or or nothing, not even my brother, because he was against Mm. it. So I was really on my own. I had to hear from God because how else was I going to know to do anything? It was all, I'm like, like one of the prophets in the Bible, Elijah said, I'm the only one. (laughs) You know, that I I didn't want to compromise it. And I didn't want to come up my own Bible like some of the churches had done. You know, uh, God, she, calling God, she, and all the different things that they did to each of each his own. But I was coming with the one that everybody used, you know, King James Version, and this is what it really says, and this is what it really meant. I read the whole thing, and this is what it really is. And so I had to do one by one. Some people I won over, you know, other, you know, ministers or whatever, it seemed to make a little dent but they certainly weren't going to let us come into their church. You know, that is amazing to me that someone who, and he's in his church, he's in his mm-hmm. full regalia, and yes. here comes someone, you are coming and saying, you know, we're looking for a place where, you know, we can have mm-hmm. a fish fry and right. none of that. the parking lot right. And, right. And, and do all that. We want a place to worship, and that yes. your passion was so much, you were moved to tears. Yes, How yes. could their heart be cold to that? I mean, mm. that's just mm. yeah. it's something. And I'll tell you, this mm-hmm. girl also that uh, I gave the Catholic Church twenty thousand dollars to hold. I said, "Can you give me a bill? Just hold this, and when you have a bill, just let me know, because we can handle it." Girl, they held my money for about three or four years. I got it back. Mm. But, you know, come on now. They couldn't let me have something. <laughs> and, and as quick, as fast as they had pulled out of the inner city and pulled yes. out of communities of color, you know, yes. and, it was, and, and it was just about the money, you know. About the I money. Because they said that they weren't, didn't, you know, and here to, to – the structure that had been built for people to and nobody using it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. That's I'm, incredible. Yes, yes, yeah. But you know, you stick with it, and like I said earlier, I didn't know that it could not be done. Because I'm just, I'm used to, you know, don't change horses in the middle of the stream. You start something, you see it to completion. You know what I mean? It's, you know, you don't quit. We're not quitters. So I had to keep going. 
Mm-hmm. Had to and keep I mean, looking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that at some point, I mean, it's almost like you had a mandate. The Bible yeah. held on. It opened up in the and the sun uh, and right yeah. there. You know, you had a mandate. I you know, did. You could not quit. Yes, I could not quit. You're right. I could not quit. And I'll tell you this. There was a, a marriage equality training session that was in Ann Arbor before we had marriage equality pass, and they were getting us ready because we thought it was coming down. And I went to that meeting, and there was a guy that's the head of the United Church of Christ. He came over to me. He said, Selma Massey, I've been looking for you. We, would you be interested in partnering with the United Church of Christ? I, girl, I could have melted like a, like, like a candle wax that was lit. You know what I mean? Because here's somebody, all, after all these years of rejection, because I started in 96. I started out on TV, and then we worked our way to where we are now. But, I, but for someone to say, we want you. And I just, I burst into tears, I'm telling you, you know, when I had my private moment about it. But as it turns out, the UCC, they were the first one, ones to, you know, denomination to ordain an African-American uh, minister. They were the first ones to ordain an openly gay person. They were the first to go to the Supreme Court with the group to, for marriage equality. That, the United Church of Christ was something else. You know what I mean? And so here, mm-hmm. so they got me. So now we're, the, we're the, the Midwest LGBT church. And then Flunder has out there in the West, and there's a guy that has one down in Texas. And we're all the, almost the four corners of, of the country, UCC. But they are something else. They're very, very progressive. And they trace their roots all the way back to Amistad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just way back. And so uh, it was a blessing. You know, I'm not talking about such a time as because how did I wind up at that meeting? How did I, you know what I mean? These various things I had, it was nobody but God because nobody was telling me anything. I was the one that everybody, when I say everybody, my peers, like other pastors, you know, in the straight world and all that, they, they, they looked at me with disdain, like I was surely going to hell. But I didn't back down. I, all these years I was going to the universities, talking to the students, and, and, and just really trying to whoever I could reach to help them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and that's true, you know, I mean, and like you said, yeah, you could do weddings, you know, and many people want to do weddings someplace else. But now you can do everything in your church everything. home. You know, they can come to their church home yes. and develop those relationships. And, yes. you know, we're having families now. I mean, yes. I, you know, the people can raise their families yes. in their church home. Yes. And people are bringing their parents. I mean, we mm-hmm. see, and their grandkids to church now. I mean, it's like, Church, (laughs) (laughs) what it was for our, you know, early ancestors, I mean, you know, our parents early on in life, you know, way back in the times before. Everybody's coming to church now. And uh, uh, since we're in Gross Point, what I have found, which is interesting, is that some people, they still don't want to go into some of these suburban areas. They still have trouble. You know what I mean? They don't want to go into certain neighborhoods, our people. 
I think that might be more of the African American part than the gay part. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Because mm-hmm. we still get picked on. Mm-hmm. The church accepted yeah. us, but the neighborhood, you know, <laughs> the police. Let's say that you know the mm-hmm. you know the fraternal you know, order. And, and you're seeing more and more of the things. You know, not only driving for black, picnicking while black. You know, yeah. So in many ways, it's it's going backwards. Yes. But we're moving forward. We're, we can yes. continue to move forward, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to take our second break. Then I want to, building on that, talk about this exciting new project you have going on. Okay, So we'll yes. be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here on collections by Michelle Brown. Um, there's an exciting project that you have going in and you know and, and part of it also um, ties into the church summer. You know I was talking to you offline about um, a friend of mine who was an archivist for the Schomburg Museum and one yes. of the things that he was saying particularly in our community that we had these pictures you know black yes. people we had pictures like if yes, you were we from you moved up here from the south, you'd send pictures back. You had pictures of yes. something from church. We had even um, obituaries that told yeah. a story. We have all of these things. And I have, yeah. you know, and we know, you know, time doesn't stand still. Yeah. <laughs> and we yeah. have people and, and traditions that have been there and that are gone. Yeah. And particularly for LGBTQ people who... Sometimes we had to, to fly under the radar, but yeah. we still had, you know, get-togethers. We think about Ruth Ellis, and you hear them talk about the party yeah. that they had at Ruth Ellis's house, you know, and, and to yeah. how great it would have been to, to see that. And yeah. here, your congregation came, and after, you know, you got so they said they wanted to do something. They yeah. wanted to develop a virtual museum. Yeah. What was that conversation like? They wanted to capture the memories, the, those time-stamped moments. They were like, well, it's never been done. One lady said to me, you know, I researched it, and, and it hasn't been done in this way. You know, we have various organizations, she said, that, that they kind of uh, landmark their history for that particular organization in that particular city. But there's never been, and there is not right now, where it's just photographs only. And it's like that old Look magazine used to be, uh, where it was pictures, and let the picture tell the stories. And so Mm. that's what got our people excited, because, like you said, the pictures are all scattered about. 
We don't know where they are. And then sometimes when people die, like I remember uh, one of our community people, uh, very popular in the community, and when she passed, they brought in all the pictures that she had in her, and these big old garbage bags full, and they put them all out on the table of, uh, uh, in the church of that, in the lobby before you went into the sanctuary. And she had pictures of all of us from the years of the, the 60s and the 70s and the clubs and the, all the exciting moments when it was wonderful to be out there and it, you didn't have to be, feel unsafe. You know, we were, you know, we were in our places where we could be happy with one another during those times. And they had all those beautiful pictures. And in the end, the ones that nobody picked up wound up going in the trash. Mm. That got me. That got me. I said, no, uh-uh. We got too many people that have gone on. Nobody's, where are the pictures of them, the ones that have gone on? The people that have helped us. Some of the prominent gay people in our community and, 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 and some of the accomplishments they've had here in the Detroit area. We need to share that and capture those moments. You know, everybody else is, you know, a lot of the ethnic groups got their own museums. Look at Charles Wright, what he did. He started out on the boulevard just collecting stuff That's and right. put it in that place over there on the boulevard. And then look mm-hmm. what has happened. No, and, you know, and often, I mean, we talk about, you hear stories how they say that many LGBT elders, you know, yes. who don't have family, they don't have kids yeah. or whatever. And so they're going, some of them are going back in the closet or some yeah. of them are having to live in assisted living. And what happens to all of those, those, I talked to someone once who said they had file cabinets. And if it's right. enough to one family member, it would all gone in the trash. But the other one said, this is important. And so, yeah. we, like you said, we've got these people yes. with this history. Yes. With this rich history, rich, rich history. And up the road in time, in a couple of years or so, we want to develop this into, although it's virtual now, we want to develop it into a, a physical location. So they can be a destination point where people from around the world will come and say, let me go to the museum, to the American Museum of LGBT History, and let me just see what it's like. And maybe I find somebody that that seems similar to me. I'm not the only one. Because that was something when I was coming up, I felt like I was the only one because it was something you didn't Mm -hmm. talk about. And it felt so alone. And God knows, oh, my goodness. I just, oof, I'm glad that God had a plan for my life because I might have killed myself or something. You know how sometimes self-destructive behavior like driving too fast or, you know, doing silly things, jumping out of an airplane or whatever, you know what I mean, things that you take chances and uh, when you think that God doesn't care. So, but anyway, so with the museum, I'm thinking that it, is a, it will be a place where young people can come just like they do to Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Come and see the story, like they do the Holocaust uh, Museum, just like they do, you know, just let's tell the story mm-hmm. in picture form, not taking any sides. But, you know, mm-hmm. some of our people might have lovely homes and, you know, a beautiful home, or, and, and, and maybe they might want to donate a piano or a chair to the museum. Mm-hmm. This is the chair that belonged to the BBC, you know, the Billionaire Boy Club. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, this was the chair they used. 
like to rec- recreate like this was the room and that's what it looked like when you that's come to right the party, you know that's <laughs> right that's right that's right and then it'd be preserved with their you know with a uh, a little seal on the outside of that particular venue vignette there you know what i mean mm-hmm. and then they can be remembered for all the work they've done to bring us together, to give us wonderful social opportunities and a good time back there in the 70s and 60s and 80s and all of that. But why can't we remember them? Why can't they leave their footprint? And that's what the American Museum of LGBTQ History is all about. You know what, Michelle? Go on. I'm sorry. One of the things that I like, too, about the virtual part Yes. You know, people have passed on, and maybe someone will see that picture and go like, oh, that's, you know, so-and-so, and and will say their name again. Yes, yes, and remember them. Yes, Mm -hmm. they're not forgotten, you know. Mm -hmm. They're not forgotten. So it'll be an educational experience, a spiritual experience, and also an inclusive experience because it's going to bring others in, even if they're one of – do it by curiosity because the phones and the tablets, you know, the smartphones and all that, they're right in our hands. And all we got to do is go right to that site and you can travel and see. Because you'd be surprised how many people just sit at their computers, many of them are playing games, or either they're on YouTube just seeing what other kind of silly videos are out. But can you imagine if they can just pick up their phone and say, you know what, my son or daughter is gay and I heard about this museum. Let me just, you know, let me just see. You know, because a lot of people don't know that with uh, gay lives that we're not in the bed all the time. We do other stuff. We play baseball. We go to the movies. We shop. We laugh. We, <laughs> we accomplish things. We open up funeral homes. We do all kinds of things, you know. So what we want to do, and I call it a photographic tour, is to expose all of these things because the closet door is open now, you know, and the veil has been lifted. So we can all see and tell our stories in a visual way. Okay. So one of the things, I noticed that it's the American Museum for yes. LGBTQ History. I mean, yes. that's pretty broad. Yeah. So what made you guys decide that, you know, you wanted to – to go beyond just Detroit. And I know also it makes sense because we're a very mobile society, but did that immediately come to, to mind that we that you guys wanted to make it broad? Yes. Wide net? Yes, because social media casts a broad net. We got to do what, you know, what they do in Rome. You know what I mean? So this is the time to not just be so narrowly focused, but to have a global impact because there are people in other countries, people in other cities that still maybe not know or realize that we're here and that we're free to a larger extent. And if they can see our stories, if some people, one of my people at church, he says, well, because he communicates with some guys over in Africa. He said, mm-hmm. I said, well, can you, maybe, he said, maybe I can get some pictures or something like that. He said, we've got to be careful, though, because if those pictures come up, because they're still not allowed in a lot of those yep. places. But they want to see what we have. So they're going to be looking worldwide because 
if that's one person in our church, and there may be others, I'm sure, that have people that they communicate with that are all over the place. You know, everybody's not just in Detroit anymore. It's, you know, we're in the United States, some parts of Africa, you know what I mean? And, and that's the whole position with the United Church of Christ also. They're international and global. So we want to step up with them and not be so isolated. So that's why we came up with the, the American Museum of LGBTQ history. So we can cover all the bases. And then to the extent that we don't, then I'm sure this will be an incentive to do it in other places. Other people, other community groups might come on and do something and realize now is the time to help those that are going to follow us and give them something, give them a northern star to kind of reach mm-hmm. for. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Because, you know, just like how you're talking about having that room that that's set up in the Billionaire Boys Club, yes. there might be something in another city that they want to preserve that space, and then it could yes. be connected, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Partner with them. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. Our sister place in Atlanta, our, other, our brother place in New York or whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. we can all come together on the virtual part. Because that's going to be exciting. This, I am so excited about this because <laughs> they're working on it now. And, uh, and maybe this is appropriate to say now that we are looking for photographs, images, videos, and such, things that capture the life and times of our community and, uh, so that we can get them included so that people can see who we are and we share our joy, our successes, uh, those moments, the pain, the, the, uh, the, the laughter, all of it, so that we can tell the story and that we have somehow preserved our history and we can leave some footprints for others to follow so the work they don't have to start all over again in 20 years. Oh, yeah, because, you know, that's one of the things that um, – how, you know, people have all these freedoms that go like, well, but now, particularly once we're getting married, and, you know, these pictures will show that we've had relationships all along. Yes, yes. And and to show, you know, this is how we are, or to have that people who are involved in struggle. When you think about Bayard Rustin, who was right there, and they tried to erase him from that. But, Mm, mm, mm. you know, that's part of our African-American heritage, too, that we were right there. You know, we weren't sitting on the sidelines. We were marching. We were doing yes. all these things. And to yes. have, these, have this museum, I mean, I find it, like, really, really exciting project. So yes. who is working on it? And how will people – I know they said that there will be a preview link to the website. Yes, who is, and that will come out probably – looking on it or what? Yeah, we have congregational members, and then we've hired some people that had worked with, not hired, it's not like that. We've, uh, people have decided to join in and help us with developing the uh, actual uh, uh, tour, the actual method of, of, uh, of uh, movement. Of the, it's going to be as though we're going through the door of the museum and going through the halls and corridor and seeing the, uh, seeing the different photographs. So two of the people that are well on board with us that are helping, me develop, helping us develop this, are uh, they used to work at the uh, post office doing uh, videos for the uh, post office. 
And so they're really very, very sophisticated in their ability to come up with uh, footage that's going to make us really look good. So I'm really pleased about that. Then we have members that are actively out there. They're trying to talk to their friends, and, and they're looking through their stuff to see what they can come up with because we want to give them first dibbies on getting in there. And then once we release the actual uh, 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 virtual tour of the museum, then I believe that each of them will send it out, and then I think that'll, that more pictures and things like that will start coming in after we've launched it. Once people see how handsome it is and how uh, exciting the museum is and how accessible it is and easy to manage, then I think that it's going to really, really create some buzz. I really do. So and preserve now, our community. That's my goal, to preserve. <laughs> so now, because I know, like, there was an article about it in between the lines. We're talking about it. If someone were to have that box, um, maybe it's theirs, maybe it was a family member, um, can they, is there a place where you can, they can send it to you that it will eventually be archived and looked at to, to add it yes. to the collection? Yes. If they send any photographs, they can send it to whosoeverphotomuseum at gmail.com. What we'll do is if they just capture that email, send us a little note saying that we have permission or we can send them a release form for their photographs, and they can sign it, get it back to us, and we will include their stuff mm -hmm. in the museum. So there's no limit to what we can do, yes. Mm -hmm. This is a big project. Do you have um, people from, like, from young people on up, you know, engaged yes. in this? I mean, cause, I mean, this is something that you can see go on. It's, gonna, it's not, never going to end because we're never going to Never going to end, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. We have young people. We have uh, people from other United Church of Christ. Uh, uh, matter of fact, a good friend of mine that happens to be in the life, I won't say her name, but she's one of the pastors, and she's all in. So we just got, we're, we're talking about it, we're sharing it, and anybody that wants to get involved, and guess what? They, don't have, they could be an ally. They might want to put their picture in there. You know what I'm saying? Or their memory, or their accomplishment, or their certificate that they when they graduated from college finally and got that master's degree, you can put that in there if that's something they want to, that will mark their legacy. Mm -hmm. So all they have mm -hmm. to do is send, just, just send a note to whosoeverphotomuseum at gmail.com. We get that, and that will open up communication. We'll tell them everything they need, which is not, we're making it all user-friendly. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if they do that, then we can take the ball and run with it. We'll be in constant communication with them, let them know what's going on as we prepare to develop the site and to get the pictures. And we just, the most important thing, one of the, one of the most important things is we have to have the release, the photo release. And it can't be a bunch of different people in that. And I only got one person that has signed the release. You know what I mean? So it's best if it's a picture of the individual or if it's a picture of a couple, for example, we need both of them to sign the release. If it's a mm -hmm. cluster of people, everybody in the cluster has to sign the release. Mm -hmm. Okay, because we want to protect them, and we have to protect, mm -hmm. you know, the future. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that was one of the things that, um, as I was talking to an archivist, and they were saying, like, you know, when you take these pictures, you know, we don't think about it, but sometimes just make a little note who's in that picture on the back yeah. so that you can, yeah. you know, start, yeah. to, start to locate them all and do that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But we'll, we'll, you know, as we go along, we're going to be able to sharpen things and, and, and get a little more uh, efficient with it, I'm sure. But right now, the exciting part is that we're still just trying to find people to send us their stuff. You'll be surprised, though, how many people that still aren't out of the closet and they're not mm-hmm. quite ready for it. They're not quite ready mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. You know, I can think of so many events and things that have happened that, yeah. you know, I wish that this had been there then to be able to have yeah. it and to maintain it and to do it, but to know that it will be there and yeah. to be able to, to, to look at it virtually and eventually to have that place to go and see this. I mean, you know, this is, in a way, you know what, this is a form of ministry also. You know, yes, knowing yes. your history and knowing mm. about lives can help heal. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. We must reach back and help others and give them something to look forward to. We have to give them the Northern Star. We have to. Otherwise, why were we here? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a good time, you know. (laughs) It certainly is. It certainly is. You know, and like I said, and this is pride, and people are talking – I mean, even if you look at this this year in Pride, people are talking about the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Many yes. of those people who were there are gone. Yeah. yeah. And we don't know those stories, and we don't oh, have mm-hmm. those pictures. So, Tear you jerk. know. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is just phenomenal. Well, Summer, okay, so you've given the, um, one more time the email for that, and then – if they yes. if someone is looking for a church home and wants yes. to know more about whom whosoever ministry, I know you have a website, but how do they contact you? I mean, how do they find out about it? What times are your services? What can they? How can they connect with you and the ministry? Yes, that's wonderful. Well, what they could do is go online whosoeverministry.org, or if they want to go to their um, Apple Store or if they have an Android, the Google Play, we have an app. It has oh everything on it. It has mm-hmm. past sermons. It's got the daily bread. You can give. It's going, it has everything on it. It has all kinds of stuff, events, what's coming up, the hours of the church, all of that. So both of them are quite handsome, the website and the app. But I'd like to encourage people to go and download the app. It's free. It's, I mean, it's a word in due season if they need that. They can see what others of us are doing. They may want to get involved. We're located at 240 Shelfonte Avenue in Gross Point Farms, uh, 48236. If anyone wants to call, we have a, uh, uh, the phone number is 313-259-0000. We also have a toll-free number that's uh, 888-770-1322. So they, or, I, you know, as a matter of fact, if they want to reach me, they can reach me at Dr. and just plain Dr. Selma Massey at gmail.com. And you know, I'd be happy. 
You, you, we started out talking about the Bible and that, that yeah. that's sort of like old-time religion. I better get with it, girl. You know it. <laughs> but, hey, hey it, it's the same truth. You're just getting yes. it in all kinds of ways. That's right. We better be ready because people are out there, and they may not necessarily want to come to a museum or come to you know, the physical location of a church or a museum or whatever. So we have to go where they are. That's why we started out at first on television, knowing that okay. we have to meet people where they are. While they're still in bed, maybe they might want to hear about that God loves them, you know? So it's been a journey, but we want to make sure that uh, we got something for others. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, that is just, you know, I think that, um, and I can't think of what her name is, who she's in Atlanta, Okay. And she was saying that um, if you were, you, she was talking about people who are in the ministry, and she said if you're trying to lead and no one's following, you're just out for a walk. Wow. And she said, and she was saying how that's why, and she had started to, to do things like have a website and do all that because she said everybody's not going to go the way that you want to, so you just have to, you have to open, open it up to all that. And yes. you... Like I said, I remember. I remember when you did the television. And yeah, you always met people where they yeah. are. Yeah. And brought the word. So it's so like, yeah. you know. And I also remember when we did Gospel and Soul, and I yeah. sure wish we had pictures of that, that Ooh, yeah. we always made sure that we had beautiful flowers. Mm, mm, mm. And mm. you know, and because that's where people were coming. People didn't, you know, they were coming, and you always made sure that happened. And wow. you know, mm, you've mm. always been there for the community. You've never given up. I love them. <laughs> I love our people. I really do. I really mm-hmm. do. I've got a little criticism over the years because I tend to be a lone ranger. You know what I mean? I don't like to get into mm-hmm. committees and all that because that'll tie you up, and we'd still be trying to figure out the name of the museum. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so get it started, and like you said, it'll go on forever, and they can always touch it up along the way. You know, but give them something to work with is my motto okay. on all. Of it. Yeah, all of it. Mm-hmm. Well, Summer, I want to thank you so much for being with mm-hmm. me today, and. Uh, talking about this, you know, this is my, my pride series, and a lot of it is about that I think it's important we look back at where we are, where yeah. we're going, and what matters yeah. to our community. And yeah. from the museum to holding that space yeah. where people can go from that place of hurt to refine that love that they had in church and find that place where they can cry, laugh, and, and really, again, feel that joy. Yes, so and safe at the same time. Yes. And safe at the same time. You know, I wish you, you know, nothing but success. I know you will. I mean, I know you're going to inspire even. There's some young Selmas out there who are watching you <laughs> and are going to go forward and do great things in your path. You know, I'm still talking yes. about that two-year two two-and-a-half-year master's and bachelor's degree, you know. Isn't that something? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, they're, uh, they're already coming. You, you couldn't. Yes, that's right. 
And that's what I want others to know, that they can. Yes, they can. Mm-hmm. That's right. And no one will ever tell you you can't. <laughs> ever again. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, Sama, again, I want to thank you for being with me today. Um, yes. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing you in the very near future. Don't let anybody stress you. No more, no more illness. <laughs> thank you. No more thank illness. You. Thank you. All right, Michelle. God bless you. Okay. okay. All right. I'll you see you again. Good evening. You as well. Love you. Okay. I want to thank today's guest, the founder and pastor of Michigan's Whosoever Ministry, United Church of Christ, the Reverend Dr. Selma Massey. In addition to its regular church services at 240 Shelfont Avenue in Gross Point Farms, Michigan, Whosoever Ministries has begun the American Museum of LGBTQ History Project. The purpose of the American Museum of LGBTQ History is to collect, preserve, interpret, and display items of artistic, cultural, or scientific significance for the education of the public. The museum will initially be hosted virtually. Phase one of this project is in the works. A preview of what is to come will be available on the Whosoever Ministry website this fall. Phase two of the museum project is scheduled to preview in the summer of 2021. Eventually, there'll be a physical location in Detroit that will serve as a welcome center for visitors and travelers. Information about the museum can be obtained by emailing whosoeverphotomuseum at gmail.com. Whosoever Ministries has apps available at the Apple and Google stores where visitors can learn more about the church, activities, and events. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of a show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.